you have your Bibles, turn with me to James. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. If you're looking at the Bible in the chairs, it is found on page 1071. And if you're visiting us this morning and you do not own a good Bible or a Bible at all, please take that as our gift. James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. In honor of God's holy word, please stand if you are able to. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Those of you who know me, you know that I am a huge sports fan. I really do love sports. Football, basketball, playoffs, it's going on right now. Stayed up too late Friday night watching my Warriors be taken down by the Lakers. Sad day. Don't clap clap for that. (laughs) But the Lord's mercy is more, so he forgives you. I'm a huge sports fan, love all kinds of sports, Um, and one of the things that I do love about sports in particular, it doesn't really deal with the sport itself, but the fans, you know, especially those who are reasonable, um, who are charitable. I do love sports fans, and part of the reason why I love them is especially those who are like really committed. Committed sports fans are ones who I just, man, I have a real appreciation for. They're unwavering. Uh, Their allegiance is to the sports team. Like, y'all, they are like 10 toes down, meaning they're ride or die. They're committed to their team. If the team is going through it, they ain't jumping ship, okay? They are sticking it out with them. Team is doing well, they're celebrating. You know, they're ride or die, 10 toes down. They're not fair weather fans, only speaking of them when they're winning. They're not flaky fans, um, talking down on them when they're losing, you know, but they, they just like really committed. They're consistent. One of the things I love about them is that consistency. In all honesty, it's, it's instructive. Because it's like, man, that's ideal. That is how we are to be, having allegiance. Not only that, but it's also challenging for me when I really think about it. When I see their unwavering commitment and their enduring allegiance to the team, it does make me wonder, like, it's challenging for me, and it's just like, man, what am I committed to like that? You know, I hope it's, my family, my wife and children, my church family, sticking it out through thick and thin. And ultimately, I definitely pray that 
I have that type of commitment to Jesus. That regardless of what is happening, as we sung in Be Thou My Vision, heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Regardless of what I'm experiencing, I have this enduring commitment to Jesus. And beloved, that's how his followers are to be in sweet times and in hard times. This unwavering, consistent commitment to Christ because we love him. When Jesus laid down his life for us, he gave up himself to save us. In response to that grace, we're to commit our entire selves to Jesus Christ. Having a sincere devotion to Jesus. Beloved, this is partly part of what saving faith looks like for the Christian. Is that we have this sincere, single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. Will it be imperfect? Absolutely. Because we are fallen, and yet at the same time, it is to be sincere, it is to be enduring, because we love Jesus. And this is what James is actually talking about in this passage this morning. In James chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. He exhorts us to have this type of devotion to Christ, that we are to be ten toes down with Jesus Christ. So our big idea for this passage is this. Pray for guidance with a sincere commitment to the Lord. Pray for guidance with a sincere commitment to the Lord. I have two points for us. They're definitely application-driven. The first is seek God. And second, be sincerely devoted to him. I believe these are the main exhortations for us from this passage. And so for a little bit of context, we just started James very recently. As I said in the first sermon, James deals with the topic of faith. He's very concerned about faith. James knows that saving faith is to be demonstrated through faithful actions. So in this book, as you read it, you will see that he values works, that he sees them as very important because they are. And why? Because good works are the fruit of saving faith. In the first four verses, we saw how God permits trials for us to endure, that his purpose is to mature us, to make us more and more like Jesus. He does his sanctifying work as we endure trials. James, he continues to instruct us, focusing on our sanctification. He tells us, first point is to seek God. That's our first point, seek God. Verse 5, it says, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. So as James is continuing to focus on progressive sanctification in this life, we continue to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus to where we be mature, lacking nothing. That continues to happen. And one of the things he gets at next, he says, 
you're going to lack some things in this life because sanctification ain't complete here. And so he says, if you lack wisdom, giving the condition, if this is you, this is what you should do. Now, the reality is, beloved, it is all of us in varying degrees lacking wisdom and in different situations. And the reason why we lack wisdom is because we are not God. God is self-sufficient, meaning in himself, he has no lack. He has no need. There's absolutely nothing that God needs that is outside of him. In the words of A.W. Tozer in the book, Knowledge of the Holy, creature, I mean, need is a creature word. So the word need can never be rightly described about God. But it is rightly described about us. God is self-sufficient, beloved. We are insufficient. We have all kinds of needs. And one of these is wisdom. We need knowledge and wisdom. And why? Because there's a lot that we don't know. And as we navigate life, we experience much hardship, much difficulty, much suffering. And those situations truly perplex us in such a way that we don't necessarily know what to do or how to respond. And so if we're going to navigate life well in this fallen world, we need wisdom. And God wants us to have wisdom. God wants us to be wise. The book of Proverbs talks about seeking wisdom. In this word, he has given us wisdom literature like Proverbs in in Ecclesiastes. But not just those two books, but all of God's word is profitable for wisdom, beloved. As you survey the scriptures, you will see that there are two types of wisdom. 1 Corinthians talks about this. There's wisdom of this age and there's wisdom of God. James says that there's worldly wisdom, and then there's godly wisdom. Now, worldly wisdom, it leads to destruction because it is devoid of the fear of God. Whereas godly wisdom, it leads to life and good fruit. James talks about this in chapter 3. God wants us to have wisdom. And beloved, wisdom doesn't start with us. It starts with God himself. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so, beloved, if we want wisdom, it doesn't begin with us. It begins with fearing and revering God, seeing him rightly as he has revealed himself, and responding with reverence, with awe. It starts there. And what does it look like? It's applying what we know about him and how he has revealed himself, what he has spoken, his instruction, his word, his principles. We apply those things to our personal situation. It is the pursuit of godly wisdom that leads us to try to conduct ourselves in a godly manner in every situation we find ourselves in. It is as we fear the Lord and seek the Lord 
and aim to honor him in all things where we seek to make God-honoring decisions. In the context here, still in the context of trials, it perplexes us and we need wisdom. And the reality is we need wisdom in every situation. The need for wisdom, it extends beyond our trials. We need wisdom in life in general. Think about some of our trials. When we experience much suffering, when there's a death in the family, when there's sickness that's incurable. And to go beyond that, think about when you have a difficult employer or employee. You have a job offer on the table that will require you to move to a different city or another state. Your dating relationship. You have a difficult marriage where you're struggling. Or think about parenting. Or just conversations about potentially volatile topics. Beloved, we always need wisdom. For not everything is black and white. In every season and in every situation, we are in constant need of God's wisdom. And since that is true of us, James gives us an exhortation. Verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. James exhorts us to pray. To pray a prayer of supplication, seeking God for wisdom. Similar to what Solomon did in 1 Kings chapter 3, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. They would be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. James tells us if you lack wisdom, it's not complicated. It's not aerodynamics. It's not calculus. It is so simple. All you have to do is ask God. And it is very humbling. Because you're acknowledging that you just don't know. James tells us to not let prayer be the last response in such a way that we've done everything else and we still don't know. And so I guess I'll decide to pray. James said, don't let that be a last resort, but let that be your first response to go to God and seek him because he knows. He tells us to pray. Now let me address the children in the room. So children, I know that there's a lot that you don't know. And I know that one of the very first things you do when there's something you don't know or something you don't have more than likely, you're going to go to your parents. You're going to ask them because you believe that they know the answer. And you believe that they have the very thing you're looking for. And that's good. Parents, what we should be also doing is teaching our children how to pray to God. Because there's a lot that we don't know, but God always knows. And not only that, it's great to teach our children about God and also teaching them about God. We should also teach them how to talk with him through prayer. 
to not just come to us, but also go to Him. May we do that. Here James, he exhorts us to pray. Beloved, this exhortation to pray is to ask God. Now, I think for many of us, or at least some of us, we are good at asking. For some of us, the problem isn't necessarily asking, but who we're asking. You know, if there's a problem, we may be quick to ask the self-help experts going down the aisle. We may even ask some influencers who we love, the news or the talking heads, Google. We may go to our friends, and God may be the last person we go to. But James exhorts us to go to God first. And the exhortation is grounded in the relationship that we have with God. We go to God because we know him. We know we have this relationship with God. We love him. And so we can go to him knowing that he loved us first. We can go to him because we have a relationship with him. And part of that relationship is knowing him. We can go to God for wisdom because we know that God knows all things. God has infinite wisdom, beloved. Proverbs 8 makes known that when he created the world, he created the world in wisdom. God is the teacher and he never took a class. God is the counselor and he never had any counsel. God is the instructor and he's never been instructed. Beloved, his wisdom is astounding. It is so astounding that when it pertains to salvation, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11 was led to worship in light of the wisdom of God. He says, all the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable are his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory. And that wise one is our Father. And we can go to Him. In this exhortation, we ought to want to go to Him because we want to learn how we can more faithfully follow Him in every situation. Because we love Him. James's exhortation here, it echoes the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The very thing we read in this morning's corporate scripture reading, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, where Jesus commands us to pray, ask, seek, and knock. And the exhortation is grounded in God's love. For he begins to talk about how God is a loving father who gives good things to his children. Well, James, take a page of Jesus' instruction, does the very same thing. Verse 5, he says that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. James tells us why we should ask God, because God is a giving God. He says it twice in this verse. He gives generously and ungrudgingly, and then he promises it, and it will be given to him. God gives. And the reason that God is a giving God, because God is a loving God. He is relational. He loves his children, and so he gives us things. 
Beloved, God loves us, and when he gives, he gives without obligation. Not one of us coerces him into giving anything. Think about all that God has given us, given us life, given us provision. He's given us his son. He's given us salvation in Christ. He gives us his spirit, grace, mercy, peace, joy, comfort. He does it all because he loves us. And he doesn't do it because he needs something from you. He does it because he loves you. So listen real quick, beloved. God loves you. And because God loves you, he gives good things to you. When you think about God, how often does the word giver come to mind? But that's who he is, a giving God. And friends, if you know yourself to not be a Christian, I am glad that you are here. How would you describe God? You know, many of our culture would probably call him a tyrant. Some thinks that he's just a taker, that he's a killjoy. But the God of the Bible, friends, he is generous. He is a giver. He has given you life. He has given you everything that you enjoy. And the greatest gift that he has given is his very own son for the salvation of sinners. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The very reason that God gave his son was to save sinners. And so friends, my instruction for you this very day is to receive Jesus Christ. For you are in need of forgiveness. For you are in need of salvation. And the very thing you need, God has given through his son. Christ died for sins. Christ rose from the grave. And I will implore you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. So James, he says that we can ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. Beloved, God is kind to all of his children. He gives us wisdom as we ask him. Now, this Greek word here in verse 5 where it talks about how he gives generously. The Greek word, it can, it can mean generous in amount. We see in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, talking about spiritual gifts, how he, in giving generosity. But the Greek word can also get at sincerity or singleness of intention. That same Greek word has that meaning, and that's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. That's also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. So y'all may be wondering, which one is it? <laughs> Both are 100% true. Which one is it here? Y'all, I'm not about to wade into those waters, but I will dip my toe in it real quick. Cards on the table. I think, I believe that here, 
The focus is on sincerity and single-minded devotion with the intent to do good. And the reason is context. As he goes on in verses 7 and 8, he talks about the doubter. They are double-minded, whereas God is not double-minded. He gives without reproach. He gives with the sincerity to do good to his children. He is sincerely with a single minded to him. And so God, he gives with this undivided heart, with the intentions to do his people good. Beloved, how often do you think about that? But God has this single-minded intention to do you good. Not just the church at large good, but you specifically. His love is unswerving. He is sincerely and absolutely devoted to you in Christ. When we ask, he doesn't scold us for our lacking. He delights in the prayer. And he promises to give. Verse 5 says, Ask, and he gives generously and ungrudgingly to all, and it will be given to him. Beloved God, here's our prayer for wisdom. He responds with generosity. He responds from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. As we humbly seek him, the answer is a delightful yes. He wants to give us wisdom. James 3 talks about what this wisdom is like, and here he is giving us a promise that as we ask, God will grant. Now, the Greek word for ask, that verb, it is in the present tense, meaning it is ongoing, meaning we ask and we keep asking. Now, as we ask God for wisdom, beloved, may that lead us to actually open God's word and search him out and search for the answer that is found in Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, and it is found in the Scriptures. Beloved, you want wisdom in your hardship? You want wisdom as you think about your marriage or your move or struggling or parenting? Ask God and then open up his word. Seek him. Listen to his counsel as you listen to his word. His instruction is all over the Bible. And so pray, study the scriptures, and also process your situation in the context of God's covenant people, your very own local church. Process with fellow mature brothers and sisters who will hear you out, but also give them permission to speak in. So where they give godly, biblical counsel, commending you in areas where you're thinking right and correcting you where you're thinking wrongly. It is as we seek God, we need to put ourselves in positions where we can hear from him. We do that through his word. We do that by being among his people. You know, one of the things I love about this passage, particularly regarding prayer, is that with this exhortation, James does something that's amazing. 
He doesn't guilt trip us into praying. He doesn't beat you down telling you, you need to pray more. What James does is he woos us into praying. And how does he do it? He just talks about God. He exalts God. See, that God, he gives because he loves. He is for your good, and he promises that as you ask him for wisdom, he will give it. And what that does to the human heart of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, it is like a magnet. It attracts us to God. All the more because we see him in his goodness and his love and his care for us. And it just leads us to bow our knees. It causes us to draw near because the affections of our hearts are stirred. They are moved towards him to where we will pray. Beloved, as James is preaching about God and his goodness and his love and his promises, who wouldn't want to pray? So, beloved, how are you doing in seeking God for wisdom? Let his love woo you to draw near to him. You want to ask why? Why should I pray for wisdom? Rehearse James's answer. Because he gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. And he promises that it will be given to you. And so we're to seek God. We're also to be sincerely devoted to him. James goes on. He does give a disclaimer with the exhortation. He exhorts us to the action of prayer, and he also exhorts us in our attitude with praying. Verse 6, he says, but let him ask in faith without doubting. So here we're to ask with this sincere, wholehearted trust in the Lord. Because he's our Lord and because we love him. Faith here. It's like what many theologians would describe as this obedient trust. This submission to, reliance upon, devotion to God because he is our Lord. Because he's our Father. Because we love him. We seek him in faith. We want to hear from him. And there's a commitment that we will obey him and what he says. And he says, let him ask in faith without doubting. It's important for us to know that when he talks about doubting, he's not saying that we need to have this 100% confidence, uh, perfect confidence every time we pray. Anything less than that is unsatisfactory. James ain't saying that. The reality is, beloved, we are weak. We struggle with the flesh. And so we draw near in faith. And if we're honest, there are times when doubts are present. When there's uncertainty that God will answer according to the prayer, in light of the prayer that we're praying. I don't know if it's that way for you, but it's certainly that way for me at times. And if that's you, then what do you do? You beat yourself up? 
you condemn yourself? Bible to me was that father in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, where he's asking Jesus to heal his son. Jesus says, if you can, and the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Here he confessed his faith. He also acknowledged his doubt, and he requested help. Beloved, if you're struggling, I would encourage you to make that your prayer request. God, I believe, help my unbelief. And then address your doubts with Scripture and in the context of community and walk by faith. As we think about doubting, listen up real quick. When James talks about doubting here, he's not talking about uncertainty on God's behalf. That is not what he means when he says, in faith, without doubting. It's not doubting the character, love, or power, or provision of God. What doubting is getting at here is this ongoing, inward evaluation of their own commitment to God. It's this continual wavering in their devotion to the Lord. The doubter's devotion here that James is getting at is like Alpha Alpha and Little Rascals. Some of y'all may not have seen the movie. Maybe too old for you guys. But it's a Disney movie. And in this one scene, if you know the movie, you're pretty familiar with the scene. When Alpha Alpha, he grabs the little flower. And he's talking about his, in reference to his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, Darla. He begins to pick the flower. He says, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me. That's what Alpha Alpha is doing. And how it applies to the doubter, it's not asking whether or not God loves you. It's the doubter saying, I love God. I love him not. I trust God. I trust him not. I follow God. I follow him not. see, the one who is doubting here, they try to have a foot in God's kingdom and the other foot in the world. What does this look like in real time? Well, this is ongoingly saying to oneself, because I follow Jesus, I won't be immoral this time. But I plan to the next time. It's to say, because I follow Jesus, I won't get drunk at a happy hour with my friends this time but I intend to the next time. The doubter has this ongoing inconsistency in their devotion to Jesus. They're not ten toes down with Christ. Instead, they're only five toes. And he begins to unpack what this doubter is like. In verse, verse 6b, he says, For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. They're unsteady in their devotion to Jesus. As the Jews would have been very familiar with the sea, how the winds will move the sea, raging in the wind, the waves will be all over the place. Well, that's how the doubter is in their devotion to Jesus. Like, man, if you know me, you know that I'm a huge fan of the Golden State Warriors. Oh, yeah, I appreciate the love. Huge fan of the Warriors, even though they just lost to the Lakers. 
Still grieving, but it's all good. And y'all, I'm a real fan. Like, I check the scores. I listen to podcasts. I watch interviews, highlights. Like, I'm, I'm a fan fan. But I'm also an unpredictable fan. And what I mean by that is one moment, I say, man, hey, we went in the chip this year. And the next moment, I say, trade everybody not named Steph Curry. You see, when it comes to the Warriors, you normally get two different Joshuas. Pending on the day. Pending on how they played. Like, I'm just so unsteady when it comes to the Warriors. And there are a number of folks who can attest to this. My wife can... Pastor John, Pastor Luke, Mario, Nicholas. There are a number of folks who can attest to this. Like, I am so unsteady and inconsistent when it comes to the Warriors. I'm not necessarily a Fairweather fan, but I'm more like a flaky fan. The thing is, if those players knew that about me, they wouldn't appreciate it. They'd be like, no, I don't know if you're really with us. And here what James is exhorting is just how I am with the Warriors. James is saying that we shouldn't be that way with Jesus. That our commitment to Christ should not be wildly inconsistent. And James goes on in verse 7 and 8. He says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. James is saying, the one who's the doubter, double-minded, they should anticipate unanswered prayer because they don't have a firm commitment to Jesus. The word double-minded here, it gets at being double-souled. So they have a divided heart, a divided mind, and a divided soul. It's to God and to other things. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this. Think about Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you love one or you hate the other. Be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus gives that exhortation. Well, the double-minded tries to do that. They try to have two masters. They're committed, double commitment to Jesus and to the world. You see, with the double-minded, Jesus doesn't have their whole heart, only a portion of it. It's like, God, I love you and I love the world. And what James is pushing back, he's pushing back against this nominal Christianity. It's where there isn't this single-minded, sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. This Bible Belt churchianity. That you live a double life. You live one way on Sundays and, and Wednesday nights. And every other day of the week. Your devotion to Jesus is questionable. It's inconsistent. James, he warns us of this. 
He exhorts us to have this single-minded devotion to Christ, to trust him and to serve him with sincerity. That where we lack wisdom, we seek him with the intentions to obey him, regardless of what he says, because we love him. Tells us to have the cross on our backs. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 9, the call to follow Jesus, he says, if anyone would come after wavering commitment to Jesus. Imperfect, yes. But faithful and true. James here is getting at the reality that genuine faith, with genuine faith, there is no confliction of devotion. That Christ is to be our Lord because we are his. He has bought us with his blood. We live for him because he gave up everything for us. And so as we seek wisdom from him and apply it to our situations, that means that in that hospital bed when we have a bad nurse, we can't just tell her off. She feels as if she's an enemy, and yet we seek to love our enemies. So if we have a difficult neighbor or a difficult employer, we just can't tell them like a T.I. is. Instead, we're to seek to be kind and loving. If we're struggling with sin as we live by ourselves, godly wisdom lets us know they may be wise to get a roommate for the sake of your holiness. James is exhorting us to not be double-minded or double-souled with God, but to have this sincere, single-minded devotion to Him. Because reality is, beloved, God is not double-minded with us. He is sincere in his devotion. He is committed to our good. And he's been that way from eternity past. Think about Romans chapter 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Well, when did God start working for our good? Before the foundation of the world. Beloved, we don't trust a double-minded Savior. Jesus wasn't conflicted when he came from heaven to earth. Jesus wasn't conflicted in his obedience to the Father, for it was his delight to do the will of the Father. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to drink the cup of wrath, what did he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. And so in response to God's saving work in Christ, we are to not be double-minded in following Jesus. Think about the great command. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's our entire being to be devoted to him because if he is worthy, because we love him. And so as we seek him, we're seeking to do what he says. We want to know his counsel that we may more faithfully follow him and reflect him rightly. 
not to earn anything, but because he has saved us by his grace. Love our devotion to Christ. It is to be firm. It is to be consistent. Not wildly inconsistent. Will it be imperfect? Absolutely, as I said. We struggle in this body of flesh. We wage war with the flesh. We're also repentant. Acknowledging our sin and turning away from it. Know that Christ is Lord. He is worthy of all of us without reservation. Beloved, in those moments where we are faltering, where we are struggling in our devotion to Jesus, those are the moments where we have forgotten how glorious he is. That he is worthy of our love of our adoration, that he is good. We have forgot his preeminence. And we need to be reminded of it. Opening the word and seeing the glory of the Son by faith. If you're convicted, struggling with being double-minded, that you've been functioning like this, beloved, I have great news for you. James makes known in chapter 4 that God gives greater grace. He gives more grace. As we sung, our sins, they are many, but his mercy, it is more. And so if that is you, what I would encourage you to do is confess that to the Lord. To turn away from the areas where you are being double-minded. Make it known to fellow brothers and sisters in the congregation and pray for God's grace to help you be more faithful and devoted to Christ. In fact, as we seek his forgiveness, you know how God responds? He pardons. He forgives. James is exhorting us to remain ten toes down with Jesus. If we're going to remain consistent, then what should we do daily? In fact, the hymn tells us, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That helps us to remain faithful. So James is getting at the reality that genuine faith is displayed through faithful action. Seeking the Lord and faithfully following him because we love him. And whatever he says, we do. Because we trust him. Instead of being flaky, beloved, we're to have ten toes down with Jesus. So you ride with Christ through this life all the way unto glory. Let's pray.